Um, But if you will, again, turn to Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. And if you got it, if you are able, would you just stand to your feet just so I know you're ready? Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version today. This is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations, They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Heavenly Father, we come to you today with the reading of your word, asking, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Let us grow in our faith and understanding of you and your word. And God, let us take this to our heart and let it be a transformational moment for us today. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We read this in Isaiah, uh, but Jesus also quotes this in Luke chapter 4. I'm not going to read it again for you in Luke 4, but Jesus quotes it in the temple. And uh, after he gets through quoting this scripture, he makes a statement to all those who are there and says, in this, in the hearing of this scripture, this has been fulfilled. In other words, he is letting people know that because of his arrival, everything that was prophesied in the scripture we just read in Isaiah 61 is being fulfilled in him and through him. And so he's declaring to people who uh, have gone through some devastating times, who have fought some battles, who have been through some struggles, and are now left sitting in the devastation of those battles, uh, He's declaring to them that good things are coming, that there is a rebuilding that is coming. And, and, you know, when I read this, and God spoke to my heart about this this week, what he shared with me was many of us have fought battles. Many of us have even come out victorious on the other side of the battle. But the reality of it is, is even when you're victorious, there is still an aftermath to be dealt with. Uh, I'm going to reveal a little bit of my nerdy side, but I I enjoy a good superhero movie. Does anybody else enjoy a good superhero movie? I might just be the only one. Okay, there's there's a few of you. Well, you know, you watch these movies, and it doesn't dawn on you all that often, but if you watch like the Avengers or something like that, and and, and you see how these aliens and one of them are invading the, the, the earth, in New York City, and they're fighting diligently to destroy these aliens and stop them from taking over the world. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. They win, and as most superhero movies end out, you know, the, the good guys win. But if you take a look around the city after the battle's over, 
They've destroyed half the city in the process. Like all of the, they've got the victory. The enemy didn't win. The enemy didn't get dominion over the world and over the earth. But afterwards, it's all said and done. Uh, there's even a post-credit scene in, in, in one of the events. I believe it's the first one where they're just sitting in this broken down restaurant eating a snack after the fight's over. Um, and you, they're covered in dust. There's somebody sweeping up in the back, and they're just, and you, you kind of look at those things, and, and when you watch it, you aren't really thinking about this side of it. You're just thinking, hey, they won. But now you have all these people that the Hulk took a car and threw it at some of the bad guys, and now the car is destroyed, and if it's me... I'm, I'm going to be sitting there saying, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there trying to get this fixed. I don't know that they have alien invasion coverage on cars. But the, the, what I want you to really understand is all this fight has just taken place, and there is still an aftermath that has to be dealt with. That's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, is dealing with the aftermath after we come through a battle. You may have just barely survived the battle. You may have come out very victorious, but almost every battle, every time I've seen somebody come out of a fight, if you watch the UFC or any of that kind of stuff or boxing or any of those types of sports, they, they, at the end of it, they're getting interviewed. They say, you just won the battle. You just won the fight. And they're, I mean, they got bloody nose. Their eyes all swollen. Their ears hanging off. And uh, that's because they just fought Mike Tyson and he bit it off. But, um, but like, they're, they're all beat up and battered and bruised. And you're like, did they really win, though? Like, they don't look like you won. <laughs> but the reality of it is that sometimes we even win the battle, but there's still things that need to be dealt with afterward. You may have survived the abuse. You may have come through the addiction. You may have uh, come through on the other side. But there are still things that have been broken down that need to be rebuilt. And God, I believe, is speaking to some people today about this. People that have, have been stuck in some bondage. People that have been facing things and dealing with things and, and have come through victorious. Or, or maybe you came through barely making it out alive. God wants you to know today that he's going to help you pick up the pieces. That after the fight is over, after the Avengers have left, after Jesus has done his rescuing work, you're not left to pick up these pieces alone. We see in Isaiah 61, he's prophesying to some people who are sitting in a disastrous time. And in verse 2, he uh, declares the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, this is in reference to the year of Jubilee. He's saying there is a year of jubilee that is coming upon the people of God. If you don't know what jubilee is, it's every 50th year. Uh, this is in Leviticus. It's, it talks about it there. I'm not going to get too much into it. I'm going to tell you what it, the gist of it and the main idea of it. Every 50th year, what happens is every slave is freed, all debt is forgiven, and any property that was lost was returned to its owners. No matter how much debt you had, the type of slavery you lived in, how much you lost, or whatever, it was all free. You were freed, and everything was restored to you. So you could be living 
in the worst of the worst conditions because you lost your land, you've lost all of your money, you're in great debt, and because of it you live in slavery. And there comes a year where a reset button is hit and your life becomes rebuilt. What Isaiah is prophesying is what Jesus fulfilled and that he came as a year of the Lord's favor to restore all that which we lost, to free us from our slavery of sin, to free us from our bondage, to free us from the dead of sin, to free us from all of these things and to restore what has been taken from us, to restore your joy, to restore your peace, to restore your hope, to restore all of those things. Isaiah is prophesying what Jesus fulfilled. This is powerful for some people because some people walk through life, yeah, you defeated the battle, you won the battle, but you still carry this weight and you still look around and you just see like, I'm still here, but everything around me feels like it has crumbled apart. The buildings are broken. I'm grateful but who's going to pick up the pieces? I still have a pulse. I'm still here, but what about the mess that needs cleaned up after the fact? There's restoration coming. Jesus came that our debt can be forgiven, our sin can be forgiven, and we can be freed. And Isaiah prophesies and tells us, I'm going to go through three parts today and we'll be done. The first thing Isaiah prophesies is that there will be a beautiful headdress for ashes. A beautiful headdress for ashes. You know, when you watch the ends of these superhero movies, you know, people are running, they're, they're covered in ashes and dust and, and all kinds of mess. And they're, they're, it's usually all over their face and their head. What God spoke to me is, I'm going to start with repairing your mind. Because you, what I, what, uh, I'm sorry, what Romans 12.2 says, Romans 12.2 tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So in order for us to really have a transformed and rebuilt life, it has to start with our mind. You see, you can, you can come through a battle, you, you can win the battle, but there is, there is a PTSD that can remain from what you've been through. If you've ever met somebody who has served in our military that deals with this, you understand how it affects them on a day-to-day life. And I am by no means comparing some of the stuff we go through to the trauma that comes through war and fighting, but what I am saying is that in our own right, in our own way, we carry the memories and the thoughts that happened and, and, and the, the things that we dealt with and walked through, and they weigh on our mind. And although we are not in the midst of a battle with those things, the memory of it still dwells there. The thought of it is still there. And whether you realize it or not, a lot of times the, the memories of those things control the way you live today. If you really want to be free from it, you have to be renewed in your mind. Because if you've been burned, if you've been hurt, and you don't have a renewed mind, you're going to put walls up and you're not going to trust people. You're not going to let people in. You're not going to have relationships with people. And it's going to dictate how you live your life today. 
It can prevent you from having joy and peace. It can prevent you from having meaningful relationships with people. It can prevent you from serving the Lord the way he intended you to serve because you allow the thoughts and the memories of the things that you've walked through to dictate how you live and act now, whether intentional or unintentional. Most of the time, it's unintentional. No, I don't, I've never really met somebody that like wants to be negative all the time and wants to have all this negativity. I, some, there are people I've met that it seems that way. just seem like, man, they are just always negative about everything. But you don't realize the stuff that they've been through has transformed their mind into thinking that way. And what God is saying is that you need to reset your mind and transform it again and renew it and hit the reset on your mind. And I'm going to walk you through that process so that your mind can be free and therefore you can be transformed and walk in a new life. This, this process of dealing with the aftermath starts with the mind. We cannot carry the, the, the traumas and stuff with us into the future. Because as much as, as much as the memory may always be there, see, this is such a, 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 a sensitive and, and heavy topic because it's like, as humans, we can never really 100% forget those things. That, like, the memory will be there, but what really is important is that the memory isn't controlling you anymore. You see, there, there. I've been through some things in my life. I've, I've dealt with some things. We, I think we all have, in one way or another. But what makes the difference in how you walk into your future that God has for you is how you deal with the memories and the things you dealt with in the past. You see, uh, God says, or uh, through this today. He wants to change our mind, transform our mind, because the direction of your life is determined by the decisions of your life, and the decisions are determined by the contents of your mind. See, past experience will guide your decision-making. Like, I, I, I say it a hundred times a week, well, based on what I've learned in my life, I know that this is a bad idea. Or I know this is a good idea. Or I know I should do that or I shouldn't do that. The experiences of your life really shape and mold the direction you're heading in. Because you will make decisions based on your experiences and your knowledge. And God is saying, I'm going to give you new knowledge and I'm going to renew your mind. Paul tells us in Romans 8.6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you are fixated on the fleshly thoughts of the past, uh, you will be dictated and you will follow that path. But if your mind is on the Spirit, you will follow the Holy Spirit and He will dictate your thought processes. See, we, we fixate on these things. We fixate on what happened 30, 40 years ago or maybe even 30, 40 minutes ago. And because we are so fixated on it, it becomes the focal point of our life, and you walk towards what you're focused on. That becomes the direction your compass is pointed in. It is the magnet that moves the needle to point north for you because it is such a fixated thing in your life. 
Proverbs 4.25 says this, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Why? Because God does not intend for us to go back. He does not intend for us to go to the left or to the right, but to continue on forward towards him. That's why Hebrews tells us, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares and lay and run the race that is set before you. Not, not the race that is set behind you, to the left of you or to the right of you, but run the race that is before you, in front of you, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We have to look ahead at him and, and fixate on spiritual things and let our mind be transformed. Isaiah tells us that there's going to be an oil of gladness for mourning. In these times, oil was often used. Yes, there was anointing oil and all of that, but oil was used as like a medicinal uh, ointment for a lot of people. There was, if you had cuts or or, or you came out of a, a, a physical battle, they would pour oil on your wounds and oil would help speed up the, the healing process, but it would also protect from infections and things like that as well. And so what God is telling us today is that he's going to pour his oil of gladness over your deep, painful, emotional, mental wounds. And that the oil of gladness is going to get inside of you. It's going to clean out the areas of deep hurt. It's going to protect from those things getting infected. You see, infection is such a dangerous thing. In the physical, there's this thing called going septic. What happens is is when a, a wound is left untreated properly, bacteria and other things get inside of it, and it begins to spread throughout the body. I've heard of this happening from people who've just had a, what they thought was just a toothache. And they didn't go to the dentist and get it taken care of. It turns out it was infected. And that infection actually would spread from their tooth all the way into their body and make them go septic. It's not common, but I have heard of at least one or two cases in my life where this has happened. No matter how minor that infection or how minor that wound could be in your eyes, it could become so much more dangerous to you. What happens when you go septic is that the infection begins to invade the vital organs of your body and they begin to shut down. You see, you may not physically shut down from the things you've dealt with in the past, but if you leave your wounds, your battle wounds untreated, from the stuff you've come through in the aftermath, what will happen is infection will spread. A spiritual, emotional, mental infection will spread, and you will shut down spiritually. You will shut down mentally. You will shut down emotionally. And although you may have a physical pulse, you may walk about your day, you may go to the store and grocery shop, you are dead on the inside. We have a a term for that. It's called depression. You can get so deeply caught up in depression and anxiety and worry 
and not even really realize it because you've left wounds open and you've left them untreated and you haven't dealt with these things and have really let God deal with these things. See, as God begins to pour his oil of gladness on you, it means you have to let him get below the surface. You have to allow him into those wounds. You have to allow him to get to those parts of you that are deeply hurting. You have to open yourself up and just let yourself be exposed before God and say, Lord, you have all access to me. I know people who have gone through this healing process. I've gone through this healing process in my own right. It's different for everybody. It's hard for me to sit here and say, in order for the oil of gladness to be effective, you need to do this, this, and this. Because there are so many different types of wounds. There are so many different types of, of, of battles. And it's so hard for me to really pinpoint a step-by-step guide for you. But what I can tell you is that it might mean God asks you to do some hard things. You might have to forgive some people to allow that wound to heal. You might need to go get professional counseling and help. And I want to say this. There there is this thing in the church where people say, oh, you should just trust God with everything and not ever go see it. There are godly counselors out there. Spirit-filled counselors out there. I know some of them. There is nothing wrong with getting help with these things. I'm, I'm putting that out there. there there's, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you have little faith. It actually, to me, takes more faith to go step in there and admit that you need help than it does to hide behind it under your own fleshly strength. That's just called pride. You're not having big faith by refusing to ask for help. You say, oh, I just trust God with it. No, you don't. If you trusted God with it, you would obey him and let him use the people he's put on this earth to help you actually help you. I'm getting a little bit off the rails here with this one, but I feel like this is for somebody. Don't be afraid Listen, I will pray with you, I will pray over you, I will share scripture with you, and I will do my best to help guide you through some of these things, but I am not a professional counselor. And I, by all means, am a strong believer in using good godly counseling. I have people that I call if I need somebody to talk to. I don't know who this is for, but I think it's for somebody. There's things that we walk through in our life that part of the healing process means letting somebody else get involved. I don't know exactly what it looks like for every situation and every healing, but I do know this, that God does not want us to walk around with open wounds and being exposed. God does not want us to be susceptible to to infection and letting that spread and shut us down. God's got too much to do in us and through us to let us just walk around like a bunch of zombies and let these wounds fester and destroy us. 
And it is such a trick and lie of the enemy to let those things fester and hurt us. I wasn't planning on spending this much time on this one. But there are deep wounds that people carry. And I think there's even people under the sound of my voice in here today that have some stuff that you've just tried to cover it up and show, try just not to show it and treat it yourself. But there are certain things that you just can't do yourself. And there is a healing that needs to take place in some people's lives. Because if you don't allow God to heal those deep, hurting, festering wounds, I guarantee you that at some point in your life, you may think uh, it's it's never going to come up. It's never going to be a problem. It'll be there, but it's okay. I can deal with it. I can live with it. You can't. It will eat you alive and destroy you. So I, I really don't know who I'm talking to with this one today, but let God heal you today. Let him take the oil of gladness and on those deep, dark places of your soul that hurt and ache and, and are painful because of the stuff you've been through and the stuff you've dealt with, let him pour gladness over those areas and turn your, your weeping into dancing and your mourning into joy. Finally, Isaiah says that there will be a garment of praise given in place of your faint spirit. There's one thing that I've learned is that after you come through a battle, after you've been left with devastation, one of the hardest things to do is praise. It's hard to celebrate when you're sitting in the aftermath. If you just came through a tornado or a hurricane or the Avengers just came through New York City and wrecked everything, you're like, great, I'm still alive, but I don't have anywhere to live. My refrigerator's gone. I no longer have food. I no longer have a car. The place I work got destroyed. I don't even have a job. It's really hard to celebrate that. It's really hard to look at that circumstance and say, praise God. Because it's like, yeah, I'm alive, but I have no life anymore. Like, everything's gone. What kind of life is this? When we come through the other side of a battle and we are sitting in the aftermath where everything's been destroyed and it's been messed up and it's been just obliterated. Yes, you're alive. Yes, you maybe even saw the enemy get defeated, but it's like, I lost family. I lost friends. I lost all these people. I'm free from my sin. I've been raised to life in Christ, but I lost so much in the process. I don't have much left. That makes it so hard to praise. But as you work your way through this process of healing, and it's important for this that it it wasn't in Scripture in this order on accident. It was given to us as a lineup of things that will take place in our life when we let God take us through this process. It's going to start with a transformation and a renewing of your mind. 
and it's going to take the oil of gladness. This is the final stage of this healing process. Because until your mind has been renewed and the oil has been poured on the wounds and those have been healed, you probably won't be able to praise. Oh, you might sing the songs. You might raise your hands. You might even roll on the floor, run the backs of the chairs. And, but on the inside, on the inside, there's nothing but death and devastation. It's not a true praise in spirit and in truth. It's a, I can't let anybody know what's wrong kind of praise. And that's not a, not a praise. See, some people will say, praise him anyway. And we should praise him anyway because he's worthy of it anyway. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it is difficult sometimes to praise him anyway. What God is saying to us today, the process of trading this faint spirit for praise, God is saying, first off, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. You got to learn how to rest in his presence first. Resting in his presence, you can't rest in something unless you're confident in something. Like I can't, I can't take a nap on a roller coaster unless I'm very, very confident that it's not going to go off the rails. I can't, this might be a better example, I can't fall asleep in the car when somebody else is driving if I don't trust that they can drive. If I'm worried, this is a much better example than a roller coaster. If I am worried that you are going to drive into the ditch or you are going to flip the car or, or you are going to go into the wrong lane and, and drive on the wrong side of the freeway, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not even probably going to let you get in the driver's seat if I feel like it's going to be that bad. There are people that I, I just can't, I, I can't sleep in the car if they're driving. I can't even take Dramamine on a road trip and let that knock me out because my worry is up so high, the Dramamine don't even take effect. I get car sick pretty easy. That's why I mentioned Dramamine. But what I say, I say all this to say, like, part of resting in God's presence and letting him take off that weary, faint spirit that you're carrying is learning how to be rested and refreshed in his presence. But unless you are confident in his abilities to take care of things, and, and, you are, and unless you are confident in his healing process, you aren't going to be able to. Because in your heart, although you're trying to rest and be in his presence and worship him in spirit and in truth, you're not going to be able. You're not going to be able to do it because you're not confident that he can do it. We have to build our confidence through relationship with him. And as we build this confidence, we can all of a sudden begin to rest in his presence and we start to be able to praise him again and get that spirit of praise back and that faint spirit is taken away. God does not intend for us to carry the burden of rebuilding our life after the battle on our own. There's a reason why Jesus said, come to me, take my yoke upon you. 
when we attach ourselves to him in relationship, we find that the path gets a whole lot easier. And it becomes easier to praise him because as we walk with him and we watch him work, our confidence in him is built. And we can begin to praise him because although we may be hurting and we may have some wounds, our confidence in him will give us the praise that he is worthy and we can praise him in spirit and in truth. The result of this whole process, Isaiah tells us, is that we will become oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord and our city and everything that has been destroyed and devastated will be rebuilt. Oaks of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could go just push over an oak tree. Maybe, maybe you can. What he's trying to tell us is that when we come through this process, we will be stronger than what we were before we went in. It, that means it must be true what Romans 8.28 says. It says, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Not everything is good, but it all worked towards the good. It'll all come together. It'll all turn out on the other side to be good for you. And you may be saying, how will this ever be good for me? If I can be honest with you, I can't answer that question for you. That's one of those things that you're going to have to trust God in the process and wait and see what that means for you. But I know for my life, I can look back and say, hey, I understand how that right there worked together for my good now. I understand how this situation here, although it was horrible and I didn't really want to do that and be caught in that and have to walk through that and I had to deal with the aftermath of it, now I can look back and say, I see how God was piecing that all together. And I would bet that anybody who's been serving God for any length of time can look back over their life and if you took some time to evaluate the stuff you've been through and where you are today and begin to connect the dots, you would see how God has worked everything out. And if you can't, that probably just means you haven't gotten there yet. And what I have learned is that you may get to one section, but then you start all over at square one. And you may go through another battle and then another aftermath cleanup. And then you're like, hey, all things work together for good. And then, oh, no, there's another battle. Why does that happen? It's because the Bible says that we go from glory to glory. We are always being built. You see, a battle exposes the weaknesses in our life. A battle exposes the areas that need worked on, that need repairs and rebuilding. And I've learned that the more battles you go through, the less destruction you deal with. You come through the other side, 
but because after the last battle you've been rebuilt so strongly, although this battle was more intense, you learned some things, and the foundation is stronger, the walls are a little bit stronger, so it's where everything was decimated and there was nothing left. Now you at least got somewhere to start because this section here that was rebuilt is now strong enough that this battle couldn't take that part out, but it's still got this part over here. And I hope you're following me with this, but as you go, things get stronger and stronger and stronger. And at the end of this thing, it'll be way stronger than it ever was. And it takes more to break you down. The promise that we see at the end, near the end of Isaiah 61 and verse 7, I love this. This is powerful says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. I, I love this because it means God is going to give double for the trouble. I think of Job. Job lost a lot of stuff. By a lot, I mean everything. He refused to curse God and die. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but I will still praise his name. He stayed faithful through the battle and the aftermath, and it was restored to him twice as much as what he had before. I want to encourage you today that if you have found yourself sitting in the aftermath of a battle, that you have come through and you have some wounds that are being exposed and dealing with, that there is restoration in Christ. Like I said at the beginning, Jesus prophesied or, or read what was prophesied in Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus concluded it with saying, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the person you're looking at has come here to take care of this work. And I'm going to do a restoring work inside of you and among my people. Jesus is in the restoration business. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today?